team, take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2 is where we're at this morning. It's April 8th. No, it's not. It's April 18th, 2021. Today is April 18th, 2021. Why is this day significant? Anybody know? Any World War II fans, buffs, history buffs? April 18th, 1942. Anyone? 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 Do you know? The Doolittle Raid. That's right. On, uh, on April 18th, 1942, uh, a whole bunch of men were gathered on the deck of the USS Hornet aircraft carrier out in the Pacific Ocean. And as the waves swelled and, and as the uh, mist from the uh, waves blew over the deck, they took off on a raid to bomb Tokyo in retaliation for the Japanese's empire, Japanese Empire's attack on Pearl Harbor, which happened on December 7th, as you know, 1941. The Doolittle Raid itself has been widely spoken about in this country, and it's also been the subject of, it's been portrayed in movies. The one that I think about is Pearl Harbor. Remember Pearl Harbor? Uh, okay, so the depiction, the depiction of the man in that movie is one, first of all, Alec Baldwin played uh, Jimmy Doolittle in that movie. Okay, so that tells you something, right? So he's portrayed as a swashbuckling renegade, right? Almost this crazy, insane guy, uh, this testosterone-filled maniac, right, who was gonna carry out the impossible. But uh, I wanna give it up, I wanna give it up for, uh, for folks like me. Jimmy Doolittle was a nerd, You don't believe me, do you? Uh, let me tell you a little bit about this guy. Uh, born in California, he spent a good time, a good bit of his childhood in Nome, Alaska. Is there anything more nerdy than Nome, Alaska? Right on par with Francisville, Indiana, which is where I'm from, right? Anyway, back in California, uh, as he grew up, back in, he went back to California and he saw his first aircraft in 1910, and that was it fell in love with the airplane. He enrolled in the University of California at Berkeley, which was way different back then. Don't, get any, don't conjure any images in your head, right? University of California at Berkeley was different. Uh, and he, he took time off later, though, to enlist in the military as a reservist pilot. During World War I, he stayed stateside and he trained pilots for the U.S. service overseas. Now, he was a very resourceful uh, guy. He was a very... Uh, he's good with his hands, right? In one episode, he was asked by his, um, his um, you know, boss, his supervisor, to recover an aircraft that had been forced to crash land in a canyon in Mexico. The plane was in relatively good shape. It was intact, but, but uh, it had crashed due to engine failure. So he loaded up a whole bunch of parts and engine parts and everything and some mechanics, and he, he drew, they, they went and they found this, this uh, aircraft, and um, they got everything together the best they could. And they found out that, that they were still missing some critical parts to make this thing fly. So he got on his smartphone and he called the boss and he said, hey, uh, he called Amazon or t- uh, got on his Amazon app. And he, he, no, he used carrier pigeons to notify HQ that he needed some more parts. Carrier pigeons. Kids think about, just go Google carrier pigeons and you'll see how amazing that is. Anyway, they, they airdropped him the parts. He got the plane back together. They hacked out a 400-yard runway and he recovered the aircraft, got it back 
safe and sound. He did that. Um, well, anyway, he, he was also a pioneer as a pilot. He, he wanted to enhance communications that were going on between pilots and engineers. Uh, they, if you know anything about engineers, they speak a different language sometimes. So he wanted to enhance the communication between pilots and engineers. So what did he do? He took a bunch of pilots and he enlisted them or he enrolled them in college and they, they worked on degrees in aeronautical engineering and he received one as well. See what I say about the nerd? Do you know any aeronautical engineers? Because I do. They don't come more nerdy. You think, okay, there's mechanical engineering nerd and then there's aeronautical engineering. Okay, I'm just saying. Anyway, uh, he was a pioneer as a pilot. Um, he, he wanted to, um, he, he understood that air, air, airplane flight was not gonna really take off or it was not really gonna become big until you could, you could take off and land uh, with instruments because oftentimes there'd be fog or whatever. So he was the first person, he pioneered instruments only flight and he was the first person to take off, fly and land using only instruments. He in fact blocked the outside view of the plane. He just draped off the windows. He did that in 1929. I don't know if you, in case your timeline is not there, a GPS was not invented yet. He had numerous other achievements to his name, including being the first person to complete an aerial maneuver known as an outside loop, which was thought at the time to be impossible. As World War II began, he was called from the Army Reserves into active full-time duty. Now I ask you, brothers and sisters in Christ sitting in the congregation of Delaware Bible Church, World War II hits and you have to find someone to bomb Tokyo, something that was thought to be impossible, taking off with bombers from an aircraft carrier, something that had never been done up to that time, who in the United States are you gonna call upon to make that plan a reality? There's only one guy, Lieutenant Colonel James H. Doolittle. His loyalty to our country and his, his loyalty to his profession of pilot and engineer was on full display in how he lived his life, his dedication to his work, pushing the boundaries to make aircraft better and better and to make pilots more and more well-trained and to help engineers understand how to make aircraft work better and better. It was part of who he was. Today, we're gonna see how God works through the lives of people who display a similar kind of loyalty, a type of loyalty that comes through in their lives. So we're gonna look at why is loyalty is so important in Ruth chapter two? Why is loyalty so important in Ruth chapter two? Now, before we read the text, let me just say this. There's this big overall thing that God is doing. He's working out his purposes on the earth. And what, I, what I'm trying to help you to understand today is what I think Ruth chapter two is trying to help us to understand today is the type of people that God can work through to accomplish his purposes on the earth. And so we're gonna look at that. But first, before we do that, let's read the text. Ruth chapter two, beginning in verse one. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go into the field, and let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers, and she happened to come upon 
happened to come to part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. She happened to come to the part of the field. Happened to. I love it. Who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, who is the, whose young woman is this? I always get that wrong. Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to me, kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and had some left over. Does that remind you of anything? She ate until she was satisfied and then had some left over, the feeding of the multitude in the New Testament. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned. She had to thresh it, get the grain out of it, out of the husks. And it was about an ephah of barley. Just for reference, that's a, a little bit more than a five-gallon bucket for those of you farm types. <laughs> so a little bit more than a five-gallon bucket. And she took it up and, and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over from being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said, where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the, forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. 
And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's make some observations about this text. First of all, I'm saying that God has got his sovereign plan that he's working out on the earth. What are the character qualities that we see that of the people that God is working through? Because he's working, we're gonna see, there's gonna be a finale in, in chapter four. But before we get to that, what are some of the character qualities of Ruth and Boaz and also Naomi? First of all, we see loyalty to people. Loyalty to people. And this comes out, first of all, in Ruth's work, in her work. I want you to remember that in chapter one, uh, there was a situation where there was Naomi, her husband had died, Ruth, uh, Ruth and Orpah, their husbands had died, and now Naomi is gonna make her way back to Bethlehem, back to her land from Moab. And he, she encouraged her two daughters-in-law, go back to your people, you'll find husbands, you know, go back, uh, don't, I'm going to a land that's not yours, and the Moabites were not well-respected in Israel anyway. Orpah turned around and she went back. But Ruth uh, clung to Naomi and even made her that sevenfold commitment that we talked about last time. You know, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I'll die. And there I will be buried. Nothing, you know, nothing but death will separate us. She made this sevenfold, like fully exhaustive commitment to Naomi. Now, before we get into the text, let me just say this. Talk is cheap. Amen? There's a lot of people on the earth today that say words, that make big commitments. But what we're gonna see is how those commitments are gonna work their, themselves out in Ruth's life. And the first way we see that is through her work. The text, the text indicates that Ruth seemed to be a hard worker. Ruth and Naomi need to eat, right? And they arrive in Bethlehem and all they have is whatever they could carry with them from Moab. But the text told us in chapter one that it was the beginning of barley harvest. Interestingly, uh, in, in Israel, in Israel was a theocracy, right? The, the, their religious faith and their government kind of went together, right? And uh, their, their Old Testament law was kind of like their constitution, right? It's, it's kind of the rules that they live by. And there's a provision in the Old Testament law in Leviticus 19 that goes something like this. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings. That's the things... When, when I was, when I was a, uh, grew up on a farm, after we picked the corn in the field with the combine, you know, the machine that picks the corn... Um, the combine wouldn't get it all. It would leave, depending on if you had an international, a gleaner or a John Deere, <laughs> it would leave a lot of stuff behind. No disrespect to gleaners. They were the worst. And they also caught on fire. They were known for that too, right? Yeah, I saw a lot of gleaners on fire for some reason in my life. Anyway, it was just funny because of their name, Gleaner. But anyway, so what we would do is we would release our animals. We would put a fence up and we release our animals out into the field and they would eat whatever was left by the machine. But, but in Israel, 
You shall not gather the gleanings of your harvest and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So God had put together a provision uh, to take care of the poor. Now think about this provision for a moment. I'm just inviting you to do some mental exercises with me. This law, when you think about it, is interesting because it taught the farmer, it taught two things. It taught the farmer, hey, everything that comes from the field is from me, so don't be stingy with it, okay? Uh, Remember, Israel is just coming out of a famine time and and the, the ground is producing barley and wheat again. So, you know, just remember, farmer, that this is all from me, right? So the farmer has, was commanded not to harvest around the edges or gather the gleanings. But I want you to notice this too. The poor person and the farmer was not commanded to take a percentage of his crop and give it to the poor and the sojourner. Instead, the sojourner and the poor were invited out to the field to pick up the gleanings. Meaning they had to go out and do the work, right? Right? Is a living example of 2 Thessalonians 3.10, which says, if, a man, if anyone is unwilling to work or is anyone not willing to work, let him not eat. So I just, I just throw that out there as, a, as an interesting feature of this Old Testament law. Farmer, don't be stingy. Poor person, so, sojourner, you got to go get it, right? So it's not unusual to see someone out in the field gathering after the harvesters, Ruth, out of her loyalty to Naomi, has gone out to work to gather food. In fact, in verse 2, Ruth asks Naomi, can I go out and glean? Upon arriving in the field, Boaz asks about Ruth, and he, he asks his supervisor. His supervisor describes her in verse 7. She came and has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. This this. This text is portraying Ruth as a hard worker. It also says at the very end, right, that she went out daily for the entire duration of the barley harvest. Barley matures first, and then and the wheat harvest, which comes after that, right? So you, you harvest the barley, and then you harvest the wheat. She went out there daily. She was a hard worker. Now, in the day and age that we live in today, in 2021, we, we, we would probably think about, or maybe Ruth and Naomi would think about themselves as victims, Victims of uh, victims in need of rescue because hard times have hit them. And certainly Naomi and Ruth had experienced great loss, loss that it's difficult for us to even imagine. But instead of feeling sorry for herself, Ruth got up and got to work. She gathered all day, and at the end of the day, she threshed out what she had gathered, and that was no small thing either, to do the work of the thresh, you know, beating out the grain, threshing it. Folks, it's interesting to just pause and just ask yourself this question. Why do we work? We work because it's the means that God has given us to feed those under our care, to clothe those, to put a roof over those under our care. We do that out of love for them, right? God has given us, uh, God has, uh, this is a means that God has given us to provide for ourselves and others in our household. Working hard also sends a message to other people, right? Have you noticed that about this? I mean, I'm just stating a uh, reality of life. When we see a person working hard to provide for the ones they love, we naturally respect that, right? 
That person is elevated in our minds. And so Ruth is displaying her loyalty to Naomi through her work. It also comes out in her words, right? Um, I don't know if you noticed this or not. This is just a, this is an observation. In the United States today, in 2021, uh, activists and politicians have a tendency to emphasize our rights. Have you noticed that? If you haven't noticed that, let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. Uh, people today will claim that we have a right to housing. People have a right to free health care. People have a right to free college education and so on, right? People, people are talking like this today. You have a right. You have a right. You have a right to this. You have a right to that. Now, if you're just a working stiff, you know, you're just earning an honest living, putting a roof over your family's head and pinching pennies to make the family budget work, how does that come off to you when somebody stands up and says, we have a right to free everything. Entitled? Selfish? Spoiled? Anyway, it doesn't sit too well, does it? Yet here you have Ruth going out to the field to glean. And I don't know if she knew the Old Testament law or not. I don't know what Ruth knew. But, but all we can do is look at the words that are recorded in the text. Ruth does not go out to the field and roll up onto the, uh, the, the harvesters and say, look, everybody, Leviticus 19, I have a right to be here gleaning. Don't you mess with me. Don't you mess with me because I'm going to take whatever I can glean and you're not going to say nothing or I'm calling the rabbi. She didn't say that. Look, look at what she said. Verse seven, please let me glean. Verse 10, she said to Boaz, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Verse 13, if I have found favor in your eyes, Lord, please. If I have found favor, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to me, your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Listen, I think that we all know that approaching someone with a request is far more winsome than approaching someone with a demand based on rights. And so, again, I just think out of loyalty, perhaps, I mean, this is a, perhaps out of loyalty to Naomi and her desire to provide for her, she doesn't approach these people with, with her rights and you, need, you owe me this, but seeking permission to glean and showing words of gratitude. And that kind of leads into the third thing that I see here, which is it comes out in Ruth's attitude, right? She has an attitude of humility and gratitude. Gleaning in the Old Testament law was to provide for the poor and the sojourner. The sojourner is basically a person who may not be from your town or may not be from your country, but for whatever reason, they, they need to stay in your town and in your area for a while and they're kind of dependent on the generosity of others to help them because they're out of their element. They're out of their hometown. They're out of their country. And, and so this was a way for, the, for God to provide for the sojourner and the poor. Basically, it's the Old Testament modern, it's the Old Testament equivalence of our modern day welfare or government assistance, right? For a person to do this might have been somewhat embarrassing, yet Ruth asked to go out and glean, and she worked hard at her task. And in verse 10, she bowed down to Boaz in gratitude. Again, I think that, I, I think this is just a universal reality of life from my observation. When you go out in life and you 
you say please and you say thank you and you you don't think too highly of yourself, people naturally want to help you, right? They, they, they naturally want to um, give you a hand. And perhaps knowing this, Ruth's loyalty to Naomi caused her to swallow her pride and to be extra thankful so that people in the community would want to help her out. I just want to remind you one more time before I move on. She made this sevenfold proclamation, this sevenfold commitment to Naomi in chapter one. And in chapter two, what we see is her putting her hands and feet and the sweat of her brow and her pride into, you know, removing her pride and putting herself into fulfilling the obligation that she made. She wasn't just talk. Talk is cheap. She was action. There's a lesson there for us as Christians. But what we also see in this text is loyalty to God, loyalty to God. And, and it comes out in different ways, but first of all, it comes out in Boaz's speech. Uh, there's a part of this narrative that if you're like me, you just read past it quickly. It's in verse four. It says this, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. So apparently Boaz is the boss man and uh, his, his supervisor, his reapers and the women are all out there and they're already started to work. And maybe he had to go to the hardware store and get some some WD-40 or something, I don't know. But he's, he's now arriving on scene at the field to help out. Okay, it says, Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Now, I don't know about you, I would read right past that. If I wasn't doing sermon prep, I would just read right past it. But then I thought to myself, before going past that too quickly, I remembered that whoever wrote the book of Ruth had to go out somewhere and find some papyri or some animal skin and to flatten it and to work it and to let it dry. And then they had to go find some ink and a quill and then painstakingly sit down and write that sentence. So it must mean something that it's there, right? If we believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of God's word, that means we believe that it's all important. So here's my take. Here's my take. Remember the context. It's the time of the judges. Israel herself is having a hard time. They're waffling back and forth between loyalty to God, the one true God of Israel, and loyalty to false gods or forgetting about God altogether. They're, they're waffling in their loyalty to God. And here comes Boaz. And arriving in his field, the first thing that he does is he acknowledges God with his words. The Lord be with you. Not only that, but because of his leadership, he's, a, he's built an environment around him where his employees also acknowledge God with their words because their response was, the Lord bless you. This is no small thing, right? It speaks to Boaz's character, his priorities, and his leadership. In a time when lo Israel's loyalty is waffling, it's, 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 uh, it's not good, right? It's, it's on again, off again. Boaz brings God into the conscious minds of the people around him whenever he has contact with them. And this, I think, he displays his loyalty to God. It also comes out in what Boaz values and what he values. What character qualities do you value? I think if we were all honest, like if we all just kind of went into a room and we could, we could be honest and write it down on paper, we, there would be a pretty significant disconnect between what we value and what God says he values. Married men, 
I'm going to ask you a question, and I need you to be honest, okay? So verbally, let me know. Married men, are you with me? You can do better. First service, nailed you. Married men, are you with me? Okay, here we go. Married men, be honest. Be honest. You got to be honest. When you were on the hunt for a wife, were you truly, be honest, were you truly seeking the Proverbs 31 woman or were you looking for a lady that was easy on the eye and laughed at your dumb jokes? Nobody's answering. It's the second one. Okay, we got Scott Gonzalez is honest. He was looking for the hot mama that would laugh at his dumb jokes. Ladies, married women, are you with me? Okay, married women, let's be honest here. You gotta be honest. When you were seeking a husband, were you looking for the First Timothy 3, one through seven man or a guy that had a good job with a future? Nobody answered that one either. <laughs> like I said, there's often a disconnect between what we value and what God values. So how can we, how can we show loyalty to God? I, I'm just, young people, I'm just throwing this out at you. I'm not throwing it out at you. I think this is actually a really good idea you should incorporate into your life. You should try to retune what you think is valuable, what values you hold dear to what God holds dear. So if you're a young man, go looking for that Proverbs 31 woman. If you're a young lady, go looking for that 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 type man. You're not gonna find perfection, but if you're finding somebody who's seeking to be those things, you're gonna do well. So what does Boaz value? What does God value? In Philippians 2, verses 4 through 8, we, we see a picture of Christ, right? It says, let each one of you look not only, you know this verse, let each one of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. What's one of the things that God values? Self-sacrificial love for others. Look at what Boaz says to Ruth in verse 11. I love this. It gives me, I'm getting chills just before I even read it, it's, it's amazing. Boaz answered her, because the question is, why are you treating me so well? You know, that's what Ruth asked, I'm paraphrasing. But Boaz answered her, verse 11, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Is Boaz saying, what you did is completely, it's totally, I, I honor what you did. By the way, uh, do you know anybody else in the Bible that uh, left their father and mother and their native land and came to a people that they did not know before? If you said Abraham in Genesis 11, you would be right. Boaz values Ruth's self-sacrificial and loyal character. It also comes out in Boaz's prayer, right? The very next verse in verse 11, 
he, he kind of whispers, a, he, he says a little prayer over her, right? And remember, he's speaking to a Moabite woman, a woman that grew up with a, a, a false god, a different god. And so this is what Boaz says. Again, I, I'm saying this, this, this is displaying Boaz's loyalty to God that he's doing this. The Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Wow. Boaz, I don't know, is witnessing with his words, he's witnessing uh, by what he values and how he honors this Moabite woman. He's witnessing about God. He's invoking the name of God. Amazing, amazing. It also comes out in Naomi's exclamation, right? So Ruth gets home. She's, she's brought the grain. Um, she's, she's home now. And they're catching up on the day. And uh, Naomi, who was convinced in chapter one, right, that the, Lord, the Lord's hand was against her. You know, she said, uh, don't call, she came back into Bethlehem. She says, don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me bitter. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. She now says this, verse 20. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, this man is a close relative to ours, one of our redeemers. So again, in her exclamation, she's, she's showing her loyalty to God. Even though before it was shaky, it seems like now she's getting back on her right footing. I have a homework assignment for you because I'm out of time. Go uh, write this reference down. Go read it uh, in your study time this week. Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. Deuteronomy, it's, that's spelled D-E-U-T-E-R-O-N-O-M-Y, 25, 5 through 10. And that's the Old Testament law that talks about what a redeemer is. We're going to get more into that in the coming weeks, but um, it talks about what a redeemer is. And uh, that'll become important, especially next Sunday. Read Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. Okay, last point, and then I'll wrap up. Loyalty to God through people. Loyalty by God through people. So we see Ruth predominantly as being loyal to Naomi. We see Boaz predominantly being loyal to God. These are the people that he's going, this, this aspect of their lives is going to be used by God to minister and so let's just look at how God is working through these people. First of all, generally speaking, God is working through his Old Testament law, the law on gleaning, right? Uh, he's uh, meeting the needs of people through this, through this something that, was already, that he had already put into place. But then, <clears throat> then now we're gonna see in this next point, we're gonna see the interplay of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, which is a mystery, Right? It's a mystery how it works. God is sovereign, man is responsible. Anybody who overemphasizes you know, uh, one or the other gets into trouble. God, both things are true at the same time. It's mysterious, right? God is sovereign, man is responsible. So what happened? Uh, she went out to glean and it just so happened that she ended up in Boaz field. That just so happened. Now, Delaware is not a humongous town, and uh, I live a two-minute walk from a farmer's field because I live in Wesleyan Woods. I just have to walk out of my neighborhood, which I live on the edge of anyway, cross Liberty Road, and I'm in a farmer's field. But 
what are the chances if I walked to, if I just walked into any farmer's field that it would just so happen to be the next of kin, right, or the, the one of the redeemers in my family line? Or what we see here is God is sovereign. He's orchestrating this meeting between Ruth and Boaz, which is going to be really important as we get to uh, Ruth chapter four. He's orchestrating the, this meeting between Ruth and Boaz. But we also see man's responsibility because what did Ruth have to do? She had to go glean. She had to go glean for this to work the way it did. I can't explain it. It's a mystery to me. But when you read, it just so happened, just know this, God is working through his people. God is working through his people. Now, he also is showing his loyalty to his people, that God is loyal uh, through people by this, by uh, to Ruth, he's giving provision and uh, protection and elevation. Let me talk to you about what I mean by that. The provision is obviously the food that they need for living, right? Um, he did that. Uh, he also provided protection, right? Remember, Boaz had this conversation with Ruth where he said, look, glean with my crew, right? Stay with my women and glean with them because I've instructed my guys to leave you alone. My men are not going to touch you. And then later on in the narrative, Naomi says, well, it's good that you're with them because if you go into another field and glean, you may be assaulted. And I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because she's a woman out by herself. Maybe it's because she's a Moabite woman and she's not considered high on the totem pole. Whatever reason, there was kind of some fear going on that she might be assaulted and Boaz is providing her protection. God is providing protection through Boaz, you could say. And then finally, elevation. And this is another part of the text that you would just miss if you just read by it. I'm gonna ask you guys a question. In the Bible, who is oftentimes, whose job is it to go fetch water? Is that men's work or women's work? It's typically women's work. Remember the woman at the well in the New Testament? It's typically the women's job to go fetch the water. In this text, I don't know if you caught it, there was this, there was this uh, part where... Uh, Boaz instructed Ruth, when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from them that my young men, you know, went to gather, went to fetch water. So what we see here is because of, I believe, Boaz's valuing of her loyalty to, loyalty to Naomi, he's elevating her by not only not making her go get her own water, but having her drink from the same vessels that his crew is drinking from and the ones that the young men, the Hebrew young men, went and fetched water. He's bringing her up to their, he's putting them, he, Boaz is putting her on par with them. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing, he also invites, right, Ruth to come eat at their table for lunch. I think it was the new meal because they worked afterwards. Invited her to to eat with them. This is no small thing. This is, it just shows these character qualities, the character quality of loyalty that Ruth is displaying to Naomi is something that God values, and he's elevating her through Boaz. We also see it to Naomi, right? Uh, This God's loyalty to Naomi through people, providing provision, the food, we already talked about that, but also there's this little part that's it's a little foreshadowing of what's to come in chapters three and four of this whole redeemer thing. 
In other words, God is providing Naomi a path to redemption. Boaz is a family member. He's a redeemer. And Ruth is eligible to be part of that because she is of childbearing age. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. Just, just suffice it to say that God is being loyal through his people. So what's the answer to the question? Why is loyalty such a big deal? Here it is. In Ruth chapter two, we see that how loyalty to God and others places us in a position to be more effectively used to fulfill God's purposes. This, the, this account of Ruth is no small thing. And we're gonna learn about that in chapter four. If, if, if Ruth doesn't unfold the way it does, if the, if the events in Ruth don't unfold the way they do, the entire family line of David and therefore Jesus Christ is interrupted. And who does God use to bring the fam- to, to continue the family line? Boaz, we'll talk more about him later, and Ruth, a Moabite woman. So by way of application, a couple things, very easy. First of all, uh, consider how you can acknowledge God in all your ways, right? Proverbs 3, 6 says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Perhaps we need to look for ways, brothers and sisters, as we're out in the community and as we're doing our thing, that we're bringing God into the conversation more. Or we're letting folks know that we're followers of Jesus Christ in the way that we talk and act, Right? So consider the ways that you can bring, even to your fellow, start practicing with your fellow Christian, you know. Uh, when you, I'm gonna make up something really cheesy. Customize this for yourself, right? When you, when you come up on a brother or sister in Christ in public, you know, the Lord bless you. How's your day going? You know, something like that. Um, but uh, consider how you can acknowledge him in all your ways, right? Bring him into the conversation. And then secondly, and this is a big one for, uh, examine yourself and ask yourself what needs to change in your life so that you can better demonstrate loyalty to God and others. I don't know what it is. It could be a secret sin. It could be the way you're using your time on a daily basis is, is being used in frivolous things that don't matter in any kind of long term. Use your time, use your treasures to Love God and love others, to be loyal to them. That means obedience to God's word, studying God's word, uh, practicing it in your everyday life. In doing that, I believe, we'll put ourselves in a better position to be used by him to fulfill his purposes on the earth. And can I just say right now, we need Christians in this culture, especially now in this culture, that are loyal to God so that God can work through us to accomplish his purposes on the earth. It's getting pretty bad out there, that's all I'm saying. We'll talk about that tonight. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to gather and study your word, to sing praises to your name together, to hear, uh, to, to pray together, and to hear from missionaries together. Father, we just, we're so blessed to be able to be back in a situation where we can do that. Father, we know that you have shown your loyalty to us in that while we were still sinners, you sent your only son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, and that we can have new life in you simply by trusting in Jesus Christ as our Savior from sin and elevating him to Lord of our lives. We thank you for this, Father, and we just ask that we would now, as recipients of that salvation, that we would now practice loyalty to each other and to you, even when things are hard, even when we don't understand why what's going on is going on, 
that we would stay and remain loyal to you. We pray that you would use us mightily in this, on this earth for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.